Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we got somebody I grew up watching, a hero of mine. I always wanted to play basketball at Duke, but my talent level never reached uh, that, that capacity. But he's better known today, probably. Uh, I mean, to be, if we're going to be completely honest, it's Cameron and Caden's dad, but none <laughs> other than Carlos Boozer. How you feeling today, man? Great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. How does it, I mean, honestly, when you have sons who are doing this well, and we'll get into all things uh carlos in a minute but when you have sons that are doing this well isn't that what you want to do as a father be one day known just simply as their dad and not for your accomplishments a hundred percent man the goal is obviously to make them better at everything in life than you were right so <laughs> yeah. as parents we try to pass on as much knowledge as possible teach them as much as we can obviously before they become adults and have to start paying taxes so <laughs> very proud of my kids man my older son is being recruited for baseball carmani he's a pitcher doing very well. And my twins, obviously, with tons of notoriety, uh, they're 16-year-old juniors who are kicking butt in basketball and, and trying to make their own path in that lane as well. Yeah, that's what's And then up. my daughter's four, and she paints all over the house. So, Man, I have four-year-old twins. They'll be five in January, and they are just little unemployed terrorists walk around <laughs> making demands all day long. That's all they that's, do. Absolutely. Well, look, we start each one of our shows in kind of a unique way. We like to have our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And okay. most people know Carlos Boozer, the NBA star, but not a lot of folks know what you've been up to since leaving the NBA. Can you talk listeners through your business ventures, your work as a commentator, and the work you've been doing since you left the league? Yeah, so after I retired from the NBA, um, I took a little bit of time to travel, you know, get my feet settled in where I'm at, enjoy being a dad, uh, as I mentioned before, just hanging out with the boys, hanging out with my daughter. Um, but then I started to get a little bored, you know, after you get done playing, you know, 15 years or whatever, every day doing something to go back to doing nothing just seems, feels very unproductive, I would say. So I got a couple of calls to be uh, a coach in the NBA with a couple of different teams, got a couple of calls to, to be an agent, start uh, start an agency. And then ESPN invited me up to Bristol to commentate a couple of playoff games. And I was like, OK, I'll come up, came up really enjoy just talking the game and giving my knowledge and giving my my thoughts on on current players and and the, and the stature of their team and then next thing i know turner calls so i started doing some nba tv stuff as well so i dove into that uh, on that side of it and never thought as an athlete that i would be on the media side uh, very different but it's cool because we get an opportunity to talk to these guys ask them questions that we know as players we really want to know the answers to and, and obviously that was the first thing I really did was going to commentating. I work with ACC Network now with ESPN, and then I'll do NBA TV with Turner. And then business-wise, I just I've always loved real estate. You know, I grew up playing Monopoly, and right now we I have a group of uh, a, a real estate group development group that we do a bunch of stuff in North Carolina. We're building a lot of mega centers that have great tenants like Costco and Target and things like that, big boxes. And then I also do a little bit of multi-family rentals are on the building and rent those out to, to some families. Definitely. Well, it's good. To, it's good that you're doing absolutely everything you can uh, to stay active. Nonetheless, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to talk to you about um, is your new book. Every shot counts. All right. Mm -hmm. That's the reason you're here. Every shot counts. First, unpack the title for me. How did you settle on that title and what does that title mean? Yeah, just every shot is an opportunity, right? So, you know, the, the purpose of my book, I wanted a uh, 41 years old, thought it was a good time to start to tell my story. So things that people don't know about me, some of the stuff that um, I kept to myself, but also a story of just overcoming adversity, you know, whether that was 
you know, my best friend getting killed when I was young and six years old and having to deal with that childhood trauma that most people don't tap into to being in seventh grade and, you know, telling my seventh grade teacher, hey, I want to go to the NBA. And she's telling me, you know, you should work at a gas station or maybe work <laughs> at the local supermarket. And I was like, you know, that, think about that as a 12 as year old kid going in to say what you want to do when you grow up. And the teacher tries to like downplay what you want or discourage you from doing so I just decided at 12 years old not to listen to my seventh grade teacher and go after the dream that I had of being in the NBA. Um, and that's just an example. Those are just examples of facing adversity. Like everybody has a dream normally. What happens is you run into a roadblock and you have a choice. Do you bust through the roadblock or do you pivot and go a different direction? I decided to bust through my roadblocks. And that's my message to my readers. Busting through roadblocks. And you're doing that now on TV uh, all the time. Let me ask you a question to, to kind of go back just slightly about TV. And mm -hmm. I want to I just want your honest opinion. Mm -hmm. You have journalists who are on TV. You have former players like yourself, Vince, who I know very well. You got even Doug Gottlieb actually shot the basketball on a on a high level. Anybody who plays above high school, for me, that's a high level of basketball. <laughs> everybody can make it. How do you feel about these other guys who are coming in who've never really played the game, commenting on the game, getting these big salaries? I'm not going to call any names, but how do you feel about these people that kind of that have these outsized opinions about your profession, but have never gone through the toil of of what you all have been through? Yeah, I mean, to be quite frank, I found myself more of a fan of the guys who have walked it. I just always been out and I follow Shaq, Kenny, Charles. Um, but at the same time, you have a guy like Ernie, right, on 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 the pedal stool, who's been around those guys. He's basically in the locker room of those guys once they retire, right? He's got them on camera; they're having great conversations. So there are a few people that I really do enjoy listening to who never really played at the next level. But at the same time, I find myself listening to those who have walked the same path that I've walked or walked past, like you know, watching the NFL and all those guys were quarterbacks or running backs or wide receivers or played the game on the field. I find myself listening to those guys more. And I think there's a huge value for getting a guy who played X amount of years at the highest level against the greatest competition in their sport and getting their opinion of what they're seeing in front of them. So I'm more of an advocate for that than anything else. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
what motivated you to write this book and how did writing this book, you know, when people write books, one of the things I realized when I wrote my first book was that and it was like introspective, but it was also like therapeutic. Like, yeah. how did this book change you? Yeah, so many ways, man. I mean, obviously the story about my childhood friend I'd never told before. That's the first thing. It's one of those things I kind of kept to myself, kept to my mom and dad, my family, you know, Chris's mom. Like, you know, I never really told that story publicly because it was very near and dear to my heart, one. And then two, I think I just wanted to inspire people, like get a chance to get outside yourself, you know, go seek help if you need it. But if you have a goal, go for it. I think life is very short. We end up losing people that were very dear to before their time. And one of the things that I wanted to, to pass on to the younger generation, especially, is don't let your seventh grade teacher deter you from what you want to do. If you have something you want to go after, if you want to be a commentator, if you want to be a broadcaster, if you want to be a, a photographer, or artist in any kind of way, go for it. Seek out those that have like-minded interests like you. I, I call it finding your tribe. Like find people who will help you achieve what you want to what you want to accomplish because they are out there, but you have to go seek them. I mean, that's good advice. You sound like you went to Duke or something. Uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> who's your target audience for this book? Uh, you know, when I wrote the book, I was like, I think, uh, you know, I want black women to read this book. Is your book young people, moms, dads, soccer moms, basketball moms? What's your target audience? And then even more importantly, I know you kind of said it early, but dig a little deeper on what you want readers to take away from it. Yeah, everybody. You know, my, my target audience is everybody from the the five-year-old who has a dream of of exploring the world to the parent who is raising that five-year-old. Let them be a dreamer. You know, I was very fortunate to have parents that let me dream. Like, imagine, I'll put it to you like this. Imagine a kid growing up in Juneau, Alaska, tells his parents, hey, guys, I'm going to go to the NBA. Right? That is, <laughs> that is it's, it's going to be a bumpy road. But I didn't have parents that deterred me, that discouraged me, that told me that's not going to happen for you. I had parents that let me dream. And that helped me flourish my dream and made it even easier for me to go out every day after getting home from knocking out my homework from school and going to practice because my parents believed in a dream that I had for myself. So my target audience is everybody, you know, from the grandparent to the kid, to the parents who's raising them. And at the same time, and you know, this as being, being a little bit older, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Right. I mean, at the same time, you could be a 35 year old man and have an, a, a new dream that you're trying to go after you're going to come into some roadblocks. You're going to come into some speed bumps. Are you, do you have, I feel like sometimes God will test you to see how bad you really want it. Right. So sometimes you got to keep going. And that's my, that's my message is just keep going. If you have a dream, keep going. That's true. That the test will come. You know, I oftentimes get a chance to interview fathers that are also public figures. Talk to me about that. I mean, you can talk about how you wrote it in a book, but also talk about that balance. Like, do you feel like you're making up time now that you're out of the league? Your schedule is so intense. Like, talk about that balance when you're in the league and how you how you wrote about being that type of father present now in the book. Yeah, it's very difficult uh, to be all the way present as a professional athlete. Like, there, our time is so demanded with games, travel, practice, appearances in, in, in the community. Different. Obviously, we have requirements to, to talk to the media. That doesn't take up too much of our time, but we're we're away from home just as much as we're home. So you end up missing half the year, or half the season, doing your job. You know, obviously, you're doing a great job of taking care of your family, providing for your family. But sometimes you miss that first walk or those first words that your kid speaks, or you know, the first time they discover 
you know, the basketball because it's been in the room for six months. Oh, this is cool. So you do miss a lot of stuff as an athlete, just if anybody in the workforce, you're at work trying to provide for your family. So you're going to miss a ton of stuff. When I retired, I was like, wow, I have so much time to go to every practice, to help with homework, to travel, to be there for those, those tough conversations. Like, I, I think for me, it was an opportunity to just be home. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we not, not that we take it for granted, but we overlook that aspect. There's a, a ton of families who have an absent parent and it's not always they're divorced or they have a broken family or a blended family. It's just somebody works too much. Right. And so there's there's part of that as an athlete where you can't wait to get home and just enjoy your kids. I've been able to do that now where I get a chance to be there every day. Every I get to watch every single game that my kids play. And that means the world to me. Yeah. I mean, and not, you got to have a good life partner, too. My wife, we yeah. going through that right now. The stress is of me going out and trying to do CNN, write books, you know, do yeah. all this other shit. And you got to to provide. Yeah. Right. And hey, you want big to shout out to all the moms out there, man. Very <laughs> blessed to have beautiful moms that take care of the kids when we're not around. Hey, man. Shout out to Ellen. That's what I'm talking about. I don't even know if she listened to the show, but shit. shout out <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> you know, we're going to get to the most important things. I got to ask you some basketball while you're here, yeah. particularly, um, you know, some of the folks you played with, like LeBron and Kobe. Mm -hmm. But before we get to those two, who are some of the toughest players you faced and who are some of the most underrated players you played with and against? Like, I think one of the best basketball players in the NBA who doesn't get their 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 due right now is somebody like Drew Holiday. Like he makes Ooh. a team go. Right. I, I think, you know, losing Drew Holiday is going is going to hurt the Bucks in the playoffs more than gaining Damian Lillard. So who are those type of players that you played with? Yeah, I think off the bat, underrated guys that I played like a guy for me was is Nate Robinson. You know, like he's one of those guys that you just think of as like a microwave. And that's what the what the fans see on game day. But what you don't see behind the scenes is this guy shows up to every practice. He was going at the Rose, like doing his job. On, on the backup team, trying to make D-Rose ready for every game, going at him, playing pick and roll, playing one-on-one -on -one with Jimmy Butler his rookie year every day after practice. Like the stuff that that Nate poured into our team behind the scenes in practice, bringing cupcakes on road games that he would bake with his daughter. Like there's, there's stuff like that that you guys don't know about. And that's what, to me, he's like one of the most underrated, underappreciated athletes that we ever had. The guy's 5'8" playing in a league full of giants, won yeah. a slam dunk contest three times, like played a 10, 12-year NBA career, like very, very impressive. And um, was a stud in college, more. was a stud in college. Yeah, and football on the football fields too, right? Yeah. You know, it was pops played in the, in the NFL. So he's a guy I, I, I look at as very under – also, you know, it's funny when you get ready for teams and you're doing the scouting report and you're going over, you know, Marcus Gasol and you're going over Zach Randolph and you're going over Tony Allen's defense, be careful with the ball. But the most – important piece of that team was Mike Conley, Mike Conley Jr. I think he's an underrated player that was great for a very long time. He's still playing, but in his heyday in Memphis, wow, was he a problem. I mean, he never made an all-star team because he's playing in a – At a one point, wasn't Mike Conley the highest paid player in the league for like a minute? That's how <laughs> – and that's great because the Memphis Grizzlies realized his importance. Like we talked about Zebo, we talked about Marcus Gasol, but we never really dug in to appreciate – Mike Conley Jr. That was like one of those guys for me that was super underrated, but was so important to their team. Uh, similar to a Drew Holiday. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got 
a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Contrast Kobe and LeBron as team, teammates. Not, I mean, yeah. we not the players that we see. We'd be here fighting over that all day. I mean, I, I honestly don't. I don't. I don't think Kobe's like in the top eight of all time. I think LeBron's probably number one A or B. So no, not on the court, but just as teammates. How do you contrast them? First of all, Kobe's definitely higher than number eight. But um, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's let, let, let's back up then. Where, where do you put? I mean, you, think you got- about okay. Think about his skill set. First of all, he could do everything you wanted to do offensively. He had he lacked nothing offensively, and then defensively, he could lock up your best player. Whether that was D Wade, no matter T Mac, whoever it was, he was first team all defense, second team all defense, almost his entire NBA career. Yeah. That's impressive to That's, be. I mean, think, I'm think not, about I'm, being. Think about being the most skilled offensive player in the league. And also being one of the most hated guys to go against defensively. That's hard to do. I mean, no, he was great. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying when you get in the top eight, you're talking, you're talking LeBron, you're talking Mike, you're talking Kareem, you're talking Oscar, you're talking Magic. Oscar? I mean, you got Oscar above Kobe? Come on, yeah. stop. Let, let, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> We're going to be here a long time. Let, magic? You got Magic above Kobe. I'm not knocking Magic, but I, come on, Oscar, stop it. Anyway. Um, anyway, go ahead. I, yeah, let, let, let's stop. Um, but teammates, 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 as teammates, how were they? As as teammates, they were great. It was funny because, you know, at that time, Kobe was the best player in the league and LeBron was coming into that stage, right? He was younger than, than, than Kobe, obviously he's coming into that. And I think one of the things that, that Kobe, he was very, he was very serious about the game, very like locked in. And LeBron had this, I don't know, just this awesome demeanor about him of, you know what, I'm gonna make everything funny. So he started cracking jokes. Next thing you see, you see Bean smiling a little bit here or there. Like it broke the ice because these are the two top players in our league, two top players in the world. And Kobe has the throne and LeBron's coming for it. Right. And then we're on the same team with Team USA in 2008 to go win the the Olympics in Beijing. And you see them bond with each other and vibe with each other. And it just broke the ice because of 
LeBron's humility to just be funny and, you know, be a jokester from time to time behind the scenes. And that made it easy for Kobe to, to let, let, let go of his guard, so to speak, let down his guard and just be a teammate, just enjoy the moment. And man, were they special, bro. Kobe could guard anybody. LeBron could guard anybody. They're both dominant. They both passed the ball. They were both knocking down huge shots. You saw that that championship game against Spain where Kobe literally took the game over. It was he like ran through, ran through Paul Gasol first to send the message, right? And, yeah. then, and LeBron had no problem just feeding the hot hand and giving him the ball. It was it was one of the best teams to be a part of because we had we had two of the best players ever on the same team. Man, that's just that just sounds amazing. What is it like playing for Coach K? And what was that Coach K experience like during your formative years? And this is going to transition into my next question about your your twins. But what is it like having somebody like Coach K during your formative years? Yeah, it was awesome for me. I mean, that was a no-brainer. Um, when I was coming out of high school, I got recruited by everybody. And when I got a chance to get to know Coach K and build that relationship, I'm like, man, this is a guy that I really want to want to play for. And I always say this, and this is just how I feel as an athlete, but some of the greatest coaches, they have one thing in common. They be, they're still your friend past the field, past the court. Coach K has been in my life since I'm 17. I left Duke at 20 years old and I talk to him every month. You know, he's one of those guys that literally uh, reaches out to you all the time to check in on you, your family, asks about my parents, my kids all the time. So like coach made an impact on me because he taught me the, the, the importance of next play. Right. So just to just to give you some contrast or some like in a game, you might turn the ball over. Right. Which happens. Right. Turn the ball over. As an athlete, you can get down on yourself and be like, oh, man, I let my team down or whatever and use the energy that way. He taught us, "Okay, if you make a mistake, use that same energy to get the ball back, to make a great play for your team, to build your team up on the next play down, which translates to life. You know, whether you lose lose somebody close to you, whether you go, go lose a job, whether you get divorced, use the energy to get your next play, to get back on on track so you can continue to move forward and. That's something I've used my entire life, and I learned that through Coach K. That kind of leads me to my next question, one of my last questions I have for you, so you can go out and continue selling this book. And We need to make sure this book is a New York Times bestseller, Every yeah. Shot Counts by Carlos Boozer. Yeah, he done, he done put his modeling picture on the front. What are you looking at? <laughs> on the, <laughs> he done took it on, on the side of his bed or something. I don't know what. <laughs> so... You know, this is different than when you, I mean, we're, I'm 39, you're 41. We mm -hmm. kind of grew up in the same generation, same time period. You're raising kids not that far removed from when you were going through the recruiting process, but it's 180 degrees different. Yeah. You got the portal, you got NILs, you got G League, you got overtime, you got all of these different nuances. Help listeners understand how much college basketball has changed and what your experiences are as a father of two blue chip recruits going through the recruiting process. Uh, yeah, thank you for the compliments, by the way. But also to dive into your question, it's changed dramatically. You know, when I got to college in 99, 2000, guys were staying on campus for three or four years. You know, we had Shane Batty for four years on campus. Shane Batty tried to stay seven years if they would have let him. They would absolutely. He was Mr. College Basketball. Me, Jay Will, and Dunleavy all stayed three years. Like that was normal to enter your junior and senior year as a college athlete where today it's one and done. And that's why I give my hat. I take my hat off to these coaches who had to adapt to these guys coming on campus for, you know, eight months, six, seven months, and then going on to the pros and still being able to, to run a great program and reach final fours and have championship aspirations. 
you basically have a group of guys for a very short period of time and you have to make them turn them into a team that's competing for a title in a very short period of time. Where back when I came in college, you had, you know, you had two or you're basically recruiting a guy for at least two to four years to have a chance to win a championship and build a rapport and build a relationship and build a foundation with that guy. Now that that's, that's cutting, cutting half. Then on top of that, you have the portal, right? So now if I'm a college, if I'm a college coach, do I want to go get this 18 year old kid from high school with no college experience? Or will I go get this guy who played two or three years in college, more physically built, more mature, knows the a man. He's a man. Tournament. You went, He's you a man. Yeah. Do I go get that player? So it makes it makes it very difficult for high school athletes to get the same opportunities that we got back in the day. However, in, in my kids' situation, they're working their butts off to be some of the top players, and they're being recruited by everybody, all the top schools you can think of. And because of that, they're going to have an opportunity to play for some great colleges on some great campuses, and they're going to have an opportunity to to hopefully play with some other great players and make the tournament, see what March Madness is about once they get there. The other thing I was going to say is I think it's great that they have, you know, for me, like I met I met their mom when I was a freshman in college. And then obviously I live the life that they're trying to, the shoe that they're trying to walk through, right? So because of that, they have two parents who lived it. You know, Cece yep. came to every one of my basketball games in college, almost all of my NBA games. So the boys were around that. You know, their uncles are Derek Rose and Darren Williams and Joe Kinoa and you know, Jimmy Butler, these are these are guys that they they know as uncles. So they they have that poise of being around the game so much as kids. And so they take that maturity with them everywhere they go. I mean, that's that's dope. I mean, college coaches, I know they're knocking down your door and there is an inherent value. And you realize it even after you during you play, but especially after you play of actually going to college yeah. and building relationships and not being yeah. forced into a life. Where you're, you know, you have to do other things. I mean, going to college parties, meeting college girls, you know, eating. Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's a part of yeah. life. Last question, most important question. Well, I, I want everybody to know that if I have to choose between uh, Shane Battier, Elton Brand, and Carlos Booz, I'm taking Carlos Booz every day of the week. <laughs> every day of the week, twice on Tuesdays. La last question, the most important question: When is your book on sale? Where can people find a book? How can they buy it? Yeah, the book is out, guys. You can go on my link in my bio on my Instagram. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Nobles. You can go anywhere. You can buy a book. Go get Every Shot Counts. It's out now. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy the read, enjoy enjoy the book, and and definitely spread it to your friends. It's, it's one of those things that are going to inspire you and tell you to go after your dream. Oh, you know, I can't let you go. I got one more question real quick. Tell me yeah. this. How good would Jason Williams have been had he not got hurt? Oh, Jay was cold, man. And he'd have been on like, cold. I'll tell Tracy you how good. McGrady, him and Tracy McGrady are definitely two of the top players that yeah. ever played a game if they don't get hurt. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Jay Will would have been on that 2008 Olympic team that won the gold medal in Beijing if he got the chance to keep playing. He was that good. He was he was quick. He was fast. He was unafraid of the moment. He could do he could do whatever you wanted him to do. He could defend. He could score. He could go above the rim. Like he was a bad man. Trust me, bad man. Yeah. Carlos Boozer, thank you for your time and joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Everybody go out and get this book, Every Shot Counts.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 